All right, it has a great prayer. Uh, Alex, appreciate what you said. It's been, uh, it's been a good test for me the last few weeks. Uh, I say this regularly and have challenged us to rem- remember it. So I'm going to give a challenge again today if you're all ready for it. You all ready for it? Say, oh, yeah. Everybody awake? All right, everybody got your stuff situated? Not quite, almost. Ready to hear? So here's the thing that God's been focusing on, and, and Alex said in his prayer, it's just helping us to keep our eyes focused on you. And, you know, that sounds real spiritual if I was to say, hey, everybody, we need to keep our eyes focused on God, and I said it with the right kind of inflection, which I usually don't. You all would go, yeah, amen. But what does that mean? That's the problem. Man, just keeping our eyes focused on him, what does that mean? You know, we talk about we love the story of, of Peter when he was, you know, jumps out of the boat and he walks on water. You know, and then he starts sinking, and it's because he didn't keep his eyes on Jesus. And that's a good subjective idea. But, man, I've been fleshing out what that means physically. I fleshed it out today about in about five or six different categories. I was telling someone just kind of a story. I mean, and here's the, here's the goal. is when we keep our eyes focused on him, we, we are literally doing what David said in Psalm 16. We are setting the Lord before us. We're doing it. We're doing something in our minds and our hearts and our attention. Our heart's affection, our mind's attention is focused on him. And so we set him before us. And because we do that, uh, the, the scripture says a couple of things. Number one, we will not be shaken because he's at our right hand. Number two, and most importantly for me recently, has been we will be filled with joy in his presence. Now, I have been guilty, guilty, guilty for the last couple of weeks. Uh, of just God showing me how how easy it is to take my joy. Satan robs me of my joy, and sometimes it's because of good things, and I get my attention on something fun and, you know, and something enjoyable, and then I, I lose focus of God, or sometimes it's bad things, and more times than not, this last week it's been distractions, and uh, it's just every arena of my life. Today, man, from the time I walked in, it didn't take me any time to recognize what God was doing in me, but it was everything. Uh, start just wasn't happening right you know I'm thinking all right I got this I'm not losing my joy I'm keeping it I'm keeping it I'm keeping it and uh, I'm setting the Lord before me God is good God's taking care of everything and he is and he has and I was able to sing this morning with more joy this morning in my worship than any other time I think since we since we worshiped together in this place and I mean God is good he's faithful we just got to work through all those things that distract us uh, I think I said this last week, but in case I didn't, I want to say it again. And even if I did, it's a good reminder because I'm having to be reminded over and over again. When I feel my joy being being taken away or it feels heavy, there's a sense of heaviness about whatever, I can always catch myself looking at, uh, that was God from Thunder saying heaviness, I think. Uh, I can always look at, uh, my, evaluate my life and see that I am off focus. I'm either focusing on a problem or an issue or, or an expectation that's not being met or uh, something I want that I'm not getting uh, or, you know, I've, in relationship to me and to Litha, to me and my kids, to me and garage sale this week, to me and, you know, uh, my neighbors to me and, uh, you know, church members and just everything. Satan's so good at stealing away our joy. And so I hope you guys will take that because that was a, man, I've connected with that prayer. 
because that's been my heart. And I know Alex and I have talked about it. It's a struggle for him as well. And for all of us, we struggle with that. It's keeping our eyes focused on God's character in every situation. If I'm in a place of financial need, God is my provider. So I don't need to focus on the fact that I don't have something. I have everything I need. I have God, and he will provide. If you're not focused on that, you then, then Satan has convinced you that God might not provide for you, if you'll be honest, and you're walking in fear. Uh, if you have physical problems and you're wondering, God, is, is God going to take care of this or not? Or not? I mean, or, God, I'm, just, I'm getting sicker and sicker and sicker, uh, and or I'm worried about it, then the problem is you're not, you don't realize that God is the one that decides whether you're going to be well or sick. He's the one that's the physician. He's the one that's going to take you into glory whenever it's time to go, you know, keep you on the earth. Or, and he's the one that's, that's going, to, going to use you in the midst of your sickness to be able to do something. So pick your, ta- pick your category. And I hope God messes, you, messes with you guys like he did with me this next week. And then next week you're going to go, okay, now I know what you're talking about. And you're going to have your own testimony to share. Uh, because it's good. It's so good, man, to be on this side of a lot of that stuff. And also knowing, as you know me, probably tomorrow I'm going to be struggling with something. You know, I may carry it up for a whole week. So I don't want to. This is good stuff. All right. All right, so, so we've been talking about characteristics of a person who is stretching out with all that they have toward God, particularly, specifically for overseers, uh, characteristics that you want to see in an overseer. You want to see a person who is stretching with all their energy, literally is what the word means, aspiring to, uh, to be uh, a certain kind of person, to be like Christ. And so we've been looking at a lot of the characteristics of that. And this week, uh, man, I, as I've been studying, I, you know, I, I feel like we'll cover three of them this morning. Uh, but yesterday, <laughs> yesterday morning, man, I was having some time alone with God, and, and, and God just... Uh, in, in God in the Spirit, I know, led my mind to go and pers- pursue a passage that I read in a devotional to, to find out what was going on there. Uh, and it was something specific that I was, that I was seeking out. And when I went there, I, God had a word for the church. I mean, it's definitely, I've got to give you this word for sure today. The rest of it, we can put off to next Sunday if we have to. So I hope you understand that really every time that I speak, I'm, I'm convinced that whether I decide to do something or not, God's going to give a word for the body. I hope you receive it that way, that these are not just words that you can just randomly pass by. This is for our body. And if you're here today, it's for you. Okay, it's for this church, for this group of believers who are in this building today. But there's a word that God has for us every time we speak. But, man, when God takes me on a Saturday and makes me so, uh, gives me such a, a confirmation by a spirit that there's a word that the church needs today, that's a significant word. Everybody get that? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, so, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you guys to really plug in to what I'm about to say. And this is going to affect the way you hear the rest of the message as well. And that's, that's the issue. You know, when God sp- spoke through John, it was Jesus actually is the one who wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, it's Jesus, and, and Paul is, uh, I mean, Paul, John is just writing down what, what Jesus is telling him to write. But when he speaks to the seven churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation, he speaks to the angels of those churches. Y'all remember that? Which are the messengers, by the way. It's the same, it's another term for a pastor or a preacher for that church. It's the one who has the responsibility of speaking uh, prophetic words from God to the church. 
And so when he speaks to the angel of the churches, I'm sure you all know this if you, if you know about Revelation, but in those first seven letters, there's a different problem for each church. Did you notice that? Because God is like, God is like a physician who are, who's prescribing. He's prescribing, and there's something that God wants to prescribe to us. And I got to tell you, I didn't catch this, so it's not something that I would have said, you know, we got a problem, and we need to deal with it. If God hadn't said, y'all have a problem, and you need to deal with it, I wouldn't even have noticed this, what I'm about to speak today. Okay, so it's going to affect the way you receive the rest of the messages regarding eldership, uh, regarding pursuing God. So it's very, very significant that we hear this. Okay, and all I'm going to do is read the scripture. Uh, and, and make a few points that I believe God brought out. And then we're going to move on. Y'all ready? All right, so this is for us. It's for everybody here. Man, it's, it, look, if you're not a member of this church, it doesn't matter. This is for you. This word is a great word. And I, I'll share with you some of the things I never noticed before in this text. But go to Luke chapter 8, if you're using a paper version, and I, we'll have it up on the board as well. Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 4 through 15. It's a, it's a parable that you're familiar with. So I know you're familiar with the parable, which means familiarity breeds what? Contempt. You will, you will sleep through it if you don't make yourself focus. Okay, so focus. Get every word of this text and ask the Lord as we read it to, to reveal to you some truth for you today. Okay? Here's what it says. Verse 4 through 15. Uh, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and, and as, it, as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. All right, and then Jesus gets with the disciples alone. In verse 9, it says this, when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see or hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Uh, Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but it has no root. They believe for for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Verse 15, here's, here's the key verse, grab this. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good what? Heart. And, and bear fruit with patience. So he says the ones that, that are good soil, represented, are those that receive the word, they hear it, they let God move it, the Holy Spirit moves it from their, from their ears into their heart, and it produces fruit. So they don't just hear it. They hear it. They, they allow God to change their hearts in regard to what that truth is. 
So when they evaluate their life, they say, okay, I, I hear the word, I see my life, I see where I am, and I don't want to be here anymore. Just like I was saying a minute ago. You know, I don't want to anymore take my eyes off of Jesus in obje- objective ways. I want to keep my eyes on him when problems come, when, when joys come, when whatever comes. I want to keep my eyes fixed on him. That's what I want in my heart. God put that in my heart through his word over the last couple of weeks. I want it. And now what's happening is today as I worship, I'm experiencing some of the fruit of that. I'm also a better person in relation to other people because, uh, because the fruit of the Spirit is coming through me instead of the fruit of my uh, impatience and the fruit of my anger and the fruit of my expectations. It's the fruit of the Spirit that comes through me. And so, so I'm, I'm living this out. And when I read that, I thought about myself. And I just want to encourage us that that's what he's saying here. But also, catch this. I never, this is the part I didn't catch. The next two paragraphs in Scripture are tied to the same time period. It's all happening at the same time. Jesus continues to teach in verse 16. I thought, different topic. But it's not, and you'll see it clearly. Look at it. He says, no one... After lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. We're right back into the seat of the word of God. Take care then how you hear for the one who has To the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So he's coming right back again, and he's saying the same thing over again. There are secrets to the kingdom. God wants to reveal to you the truth about who he is and how awesome life can be under his rule and his authority. And so he's going to give you a word uh, that's going to, it's going to, be a plumb line that's dropped in your life, and you're going to see it, and you're going to say, I, I don't measure up to that. And one of two responses are going to happen. And here's where we need to hear it, church. Y'all ready? This is, the, this is the rebuke from God right here for us. One I didn't know about, so you take it like I had to. Here's the rebuke. God's been dropping the plumb line every Sunday as we've been going through these qualifications of elders or characteristics of elders. The plumb line's been dropped Sunday after Sunday, and, and your response has been not, some of you, probably most of us, corporately, the word for the church is we are not allowing that word to come in and bring correction so that we're not allowing God to move it from our ears into our hearts. Or if we are, we're not allowing God to move it from our hearts into our actions. And it's being stolen away by the enemy. He's taking away the secrets that God wants to give us about who he is. God wants to give us more wisdom about who he is, more knowledge of him that will ultimately cause us to be lights in this community, not lights of what a church can be, not or, 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 or ideas of man or of success, not that kind of light. That's not light. The kind of light he's talking about here is the light of a life that's surrendered to God and what, how good God is and how much we recognize that because we're allowing him we're, we're taking his word and we're walking it out. This world, this community needs to see that. We've said it over and over again. They need to see what a life looks like when a person is committed to Christ and Christ alone. 
I love the songs today. Great. All we need to do is just focus on the cross and focus on what God's done for us, and then we'll want to know more about him. And he wants to reveal more. But we've got to be willing to walk in what he says. It's all about how you hear. All right, so... So church, some of us, I mean, you, you put it on yourself, and we're going to pray at the end of the service and have some worship, and you deal with it in your own life. Are you hearing the word and not allowing God to move it into your heart? Is it just, oh, that's a great idea? You know, I, I like that theological idea. I like the way that word sounds. I hope, you, I hope you do. I do too. But you know what? If you're not moving it from that and letting God take it and put it in your heart and looking at your life and saying, I want to walk this out, then we're not talking about the same thing. That's not good soul. That's the kind of soul that's, that uh, something's going to come and take it away or trials are going to get rid of it or uh, you know, Satan's going to come and pluck it away or it's going to grow up real quick and then you're going to be, you know, it's going to be a great idea and you're not going to apply it and then it'll be gone by tomorrow. So God wants that word for us. And he goes on to say, uh, so, so number one, hear it. Hear it, but let it take root and produce fruit in your life, in your heart. It has to be in your heart. God wants to take that knowledge and move it into your heart. And do that, number two, so that we can show Christ to the world. Then he has another statement. Seems kind of random. I've preached this. I've heard it preached a lot of different ways. But watch how cool this is. Uh, so Jesus' mother and brothers show up. Look at verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and brothers are, outside, are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's going right back to the parable again. You know, Jesus is trying to get this message across. And he's looking across the crowd, I'm sure, like I am today. And he's seeing people, some connected, some disconnected, some distracted, whatever. And he's saying, man, I'm going to take everything that anybody says. And I'm gonna, we're going to work this idea. His own mother and brother show up, and he says, no, okay, guys, you know, I know y'all think I should stop everything and pay attention to them. You know who's my mother and brothers? You know who, who really are the ones that I'm interested in? Those who are going to hear, hear my words and put it into practice. That's my mothers and brothers. So not only is he saying, look, hear the word and put it into practice. Not only is he saying that's going to be what's a testimony to the community. He's also saying this is what will make us intimate with him. You don't have intimacy with Christ? We've said it over and over and over again. You want to abide in him? It's very simple. God's given us something to do as a church. It's very, very, very simple. And Satan's stealing it away. It's time to quit making excuses. It's time for us to cross a line and start taking these words that God gives us on Sunday and during the week. And and we need to be spending time pursuing those words in our own times alone with God. We need to do it, not because we have to. And if you're doing it because of that, ask God to change that and put it in your heart. But keep doing it. Work at it. Get the disciplines in your life. Spend some time with God and let him speak. And when he speaks, let it go into more than just your ears or your mind. We need to start making practice and practice out of it. Man, what an indictment. But we need to take it and we need to move on. Y'all ready to move on? We got to. We got to take this word and we need to move with it. Okay? So we're going to move on. We've been talking in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Last week we did. We talked about what it means to be a drunkard. Ended up spending the whole time talking about that, which was, I thought was good. Amen? 
Yeah? Set y'all up for 4th of July. Uh, and, and so we're going to move on from there. Let's read it together. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. And again, we're reading this for two reasons. Number one, I hope you see it clearly after the word that God just gave us. Word of rebuke. This is for every member of this body. We want to uh, evaluate our lives based on what does it mean to not be uh, vicious or violent, to be gentle, uh, and whatever else we talk about today, whatever else we have time for. All right, so let's look at it. The say, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. All right, we're going to take up there for just a few minutes. We're going to talk about these characteristics. Now, the length of time that I spend on these has nothing to do with anything. Everybody get that? Other than it might make it harder for you to hear it and stay with me. Okay, so you're responsible for staying with me. I'm going to do it as quickly as I can. But I want you to know what God wants us to pursue. A person who is stretching with all their energy towards being like Christ, who has it in their heart to do that and wants to desperately and is pursuing God, this is what it looks like. He is not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. Now, last week we talked about, well, let me just describe what that means. Violent in, the, in this term in, in the Greek language means a person who is pugnacious and demanding. A bully or a violent person. Pugnacious, in case you don't know what that means, is having, which I didn't, is having a quarrelsome or combative nature. Okay, an elder or a person of God, a person who's pursuing God, isn't a person who has a, a quarrelsome or combative nature, who's a, a bully and a violent person. Now, last week we talked about this. The term that was used for drunkard in this passage is um, there, there are times it's almost always tied to violence. Okay, it's a person who, who sits too long at wine and becomes violent and combative. So it's almost always tied together, and it is in this passage. So, you know, we, we needed to take that as it is. And, and I believe if we, if we use it in that way, there are some people, you know them, I know them, uh, or some of you know them, uh, if you've been around people who drink much, uh, that when they begin to get uh, sit too long at wine, they begin to drink more than they should drink, and they begin to, to become uh, tipsy or drunk, they turn violent. Uh, and so uh, some of that is, is, uh, is due to alcohol, and that's why the, the, the Scripture says, be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being drunk with wine, be drunk with the Spirit, is because there are some of us, many of us, guys particularly, who are naturally violent and combative in our nature. Uh, some of it has to do with a lot of us grew up playing ball, uh, but, but I think it's in men anyway. Not that women don't have it. I think it's just more prevalent in men that we are, we are competitive, which means combative at times, uh, and, and we're going to argue to get our way. Uh, and so that's, that's in a lot of us. And so a godly man, here's what he does. A godly man, under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, keeps that under control. It, it might be that you grew up in a in a in a family where the you, your dad was like my dad, and a man's a man, and you do, you tell people what it's about, and you you know you you make sure that they know what you feel, and 
you hold to you hold your ground and if you got to fight you fight you know that kind of a lot of us grew up with that and so it's in us it's in our na- in our old nature uh, and it's in our habits now and so here's what he's, here's one of the things he's saying a person who has that in their old nature has learned to operate in that way uh, whenever they get drunk with wine that's where they go if somebody comes and makes a challenge to them, they may not be able to stand up, but they're going to they're gonna fall down fighting, right? And so that's, that's definitely one of the applications of this. But I also want to just say, I think in connection to this, there are a lot of people who simply write off, they just write off this idea of being violent and combative. And then also we'll just add in quarrelsome because that's part of it, of being pugnacious. They're all tied together, but just having a quarrelsome spirit, always having to get their way, always fighting everybody, you know, about everything. Uh, that 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 idea, that concept or nature is is uh, is a lot of times explained away as just being. I'm just a man, you know. I was just a man. I just, you know. And, and other guys will go, yeah, yeah, I know. We just, uh, you know, I'm just. I'm not. He ain't gonna talk like that about me, or he's not gonna do this about me. You know, that's just. It's the manly thing to do, and we write it off. And we act like it's okay for us to, to, to say that we're pursuing God and be like that. Now, does it mean that we don't have that struggle? No, I have the struggle. I have the struggle. And there's certain people, when they challenge me in a certain way, I feel that nature coming up. I feel that old habit coming up. I feel that natural response that I used to, the way I used to respond before I knew Christ, I feel it coming up. But the difference is a man or woman who is pursuing God with everything they have, who's stretching toward that, it has it in their heart to do it, doesn't just explain that off. It doesn't matter that it's a part of your upbringing or it's in your DNA, so to speak, your old DNA. It feels natural. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't matter that culture will tell you it's okay and support you in it. A man who's pursuing God does it the way Jesus did it. Jesus was not combative. He was not. His nature was not combative. He was following the Father's will completely, and, and there was nothing that was going to stop that. But he didn't have to prove his point. When he, when he comes and stands before the, the men who caught the woman in the act of adultery, he doesn't argue with them. He says, let the one that has no sin cast the first stone. He's gentle and firm, and the woman gets to, gets to, to walk away alive. Right? And over and over again, you see this in the nature of Christ. And that's what, man, that's what I want in my life. I hope it's what you want to pursue, is that, that spirit or nature. In one of the churches that we served, there was a, a deacon uh, who was violent and quarrelsome. And I just want to give an example of leadership and why it's not good. He was that way. He was violent and quarrelsome. He was able to keep it at bay most of the time. And I remember when we first came to the church, they hired a new pastor. And a new pastor came in, and this particular guy... Uh, showed him around. Every time you see uh, see the new pastor, you see this guy with him. I mean, he was showing him the town, introducing him to people. And I, we didn't know we we had just come to the church as well, and uh, and and so we thought everything was cool, and it was. He was able to keep it at bay until somebody contested something that he said. It was in a in a deacon's meeting, and he flew off the handle. Man, he didn't just tell them that. He was going to have his way, but he also told them all the things that they, he started calling out some of their trash in their life. You don't, blah, blah, blah. And then someone else would say, well, yeah, well, you don't. And then, man, I thought, what, who in the world is this guy? 
man, violent. And then immediately, this is what happened within the context of that group. Everybody backed down, and this guy had his way. I watched it, and I thought, man, if I had not seen this firsthand, I would never have believed it. But this has got to be that guy's nature. If to do that in this context, and nobody was being combative with him. They were just offering opinions and disagreeing with what he said. And boy, it was, forget about it. Well, it wasn't long. It was less than a year, and the new pastor was on his way out the door. He left on purpose because he realized this guy was controlling the whole deacon body. And they weren't going to be able to do anything, move anything forward that God was leading him to do. And he was gone. Recently. God got a victory. That pastor came up to that deacon and said, uh, uh, our deacon came up to the pastor and said, hey, I heard you don't like me. Combative. And the pastor said, no, he said, you, I heard you don't want me to be a deacon. He said, he said you never have been a deacon. And, uh, and he's out. And the church is growing. <laughs> I mean, God's doing stuff in that body now. Uh, trust me, guys, this is, this is not what we want our leader. Sure, there are people that can have their way and they're strong enough and they're, they're intimidating enough that they're going to get what they want. But, a, but an elder, our person who is pursuing God is not a violent person and a combative person and has this, uh, the quarrelsome aspect of, of just having a quarrelsome spirit. You know, always, always having, being ready to fight. You know, it doesn't matter what. You bring something up, they got the other, the, they're going to take the other side, Right? We don't want people like that leading. And if we are those people, we don't want that in our lives, right? Let's get that out. So God's drop, dropping a plumb line on you today. Everybody ready? Here's the application. God's dropping a plumb line. How are you feeling? How are you measuring up to what God's dropped in your life? Are you a violent person or are you gentle? Gentle, by definition, is pertaining to being gracious and forbearing, not to speak evil of anyone nor to be quarrelsome, but to be forbearing. All right? Not even to speak evil of someone. That's gentle. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was gentle. And that's his, that's his command for us. And, and look, you'll, you will go a long way by not speaking evil about someone. If you want to move towards uh, this command of God to be a person who's not quarrelsome, start there. Let your mouth and what you say about people change. Quit cutting people down to anybody. Quit slandering people. Quit gossiping to yourself. Listen, I had a problem recently that God addressed in my life about gossiping to myself about people. Because when I come into your presence, I, you know, I couldn't treat you right because I've been talking about you to myself. You know, I, I finally got over the part of telling someone else about it, but it affects you, right? You want to stop being a quarrelsome person? Quit talking about people. Be gentle. All right, what is forbearing? Forbearing with one another. In Romans chapter 3, we see God's example of, for, of forbearance. This is, what, this is what it is according, uh, I mean, look at God and you'll see it. For there is no distinction, this is verse 22 of chapter 3, Romans. There is no, no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show, why did God do that? It was to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over 
former sins. That's forbearance. Forbearance is passing over former sins. Forbearance is, you're talking about being gentle with someone, uh, but forbearance is even more than that. It's when they're sinning against you. It's when somebody is working hard to try and drive that stuff out of you. You know, they, they are intentionally trying to make you a violent person. They make you act in, in, uh, in, that, in, in a pugnacious manner. They're working toward that, and in the midst of that, you are able to, by God's spirit, remain calm and, under, and give them the benefit of the doubt and realize, man, there's probably something going on with them. That's forbearance. All right, now, I'm going to go ahead and lay that one down, too, because that's a plumb line for all of us. Man, how are you handling it when someone's against you, when someone's in your face and telling you you're wrong? Are you able to understand they're not coming from the same place and give them forbearance like God did to us, right? Until Christ came so that he could do something for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's forbearance. All right, so let's give that to people. All right, last thing, not a lover of money. I'm going to hit this quickly. Uh, He says lover of money by definition uh, pertaining to not being desirous or greedy for money, not loving wealth. One who does not love money. It was interesting to me uh, that the word in the Greek was phlogoros. Phlogoros. And that word, uh, you know, I thought immediately, it just came to my mind. Uh, apparently it was the Holy Spirit because I read a commentary that I'll read to you in a second. Said, uh, you know, what's the, what has, uses that same word, uh, a portion of that same word is philanthropist. And I couldn't remember what philanthropist meant, but I always like to do, I, I mess around with words a lot. Uh, so I, I, I thought about that and I looked it up. A philanthropist is a lover of man. And so he's saying, in this, and, and in the Bible Reader's Companion, one of the devotion, I mean, one of the uh, commentaries that I, I read regularly said, gave that as a definition. Not a money lover cares for people, not things. So that was from the Spirit, I think. We, we need to not be lovers of money. We need to be lovers of people. Now, how is that going to affect the way we do life? I think in a lot of ways. Uh, one is it decides who's going to be the master of our life. If Christ is the master of our life, he says, love one another as I have loved you selflessly, right? Always giving, never expecting anything in return. That's, what, that's, that's our command on how we should be philanthropists. And, and what, what combats that? It's the love of money and, 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 and the things that money can bring. In, in chapter 6 of, uh, of Matthew, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, or either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So he says, in the way of furthering that definition, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve both. Now, nobody loves the dollars themselves. Everybody gets that, right? Oh, man, that $5 bill looks so good. I'd like to have a lot of those. Is to store up at the house and hang on to. It's not about loving money itself. It's not the dollar bills or the coins. Uh, but it's the love of things that money can buy. And being owned by those things that require money, right? Look, this is a big deal. And, and so I'm going to drop it in your life today because God said it's time for us to talk about it. 
And I hope you'll deal with, with what you're doing with your money today. But, you know, the love of what th- the, the things that money can buy. We, we live in a country that for, you know, forever has said, uh, man, the American dream, the American dream. I think we're starting to see that's probably not going to happen. But the American dream, it's all about you and getting what you want uh, for yourself and your family. Pursue that, pursue that. Uh, a number of years ago when we were all together as one church, uh, we talked about tra- being traders, T-R-A-D-E-R-S, trading our pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ. You know what blows people's minds is how Jesus how selfless Jesus was and how self, when they see that in us, that, that blows their minds because nobody, nobody's that way. Our love of the things that money can bring for us and bring to us and our pursuit of more jobs, more money to be able to provide those things for ourselves, that's normal in our culture. That's what people want to see. And when you counter that, and you're giving your money away or you're, you're, you're giving away your time because you can afford to because you don't have to work whole, as many hours to be able to pay for all the things you have. That's, that's countercultural. That's an anomaly in, in central Louisiana and probably most of, of the south in the United States. Man, pursue, letting God be your, your pursuit. Trusting God with your finances also, just uh, I mentioned this just briefly, but the time it takes to maintain that lifestyle. We need to be free to live our lives according to the plan of God and the greater kingdom uh, purpose that he has for us, for everybody that's redeemed. God has a greater purpose for us. We need to be able to live that out. Uh, we have seen firsthand recently, just a few weeks ago, when the... When the um, Funderburg sat up here and shared their testimony of their call to go. And they said, you know, there have been times in the last five years where we had $8.60 and we thought, okay, we'll put $2 of gas in the car because they're following God. They were committed to following God, serving the Lord and serving men more than they were to pursuing their own careers or financial gain. Now, you don't all have to get to that point. Uh, Satan is not going to destroy this message. <laughs> we'll leave that one. That one came from the ground, okay? Uh, you know, we, we don't all have to live the way they lived, but we need to, be, we need to live the way they lived in, in our hearts. You know, what is it that you, if God called you right now to go to somewhere like them, you know, if God called you today, if God called a whole life group, this is, this is one of my dreams. I think it's going to happen. I really do. I think this is from God. It may not be. What if a whole life group said, man, we all feel passionate about going to another country, to going to Uganda to, to help our missionaries in Uganda. We all feel passionate about that, and we're going to make that happen with the power of God and his help. And it doesn't matter. We're going to live simply. We're going to go. We're going to do this thing. And the whole life group paid the price and went and did it. You know, can you do that? Okay, there's the plumb line. <laughs> There's an objective look at Jesus right there. It just got dropped in your life. Can you do it? If not, why not? And then you're going to start seeing the truth about the love of money and where you stand. Look, I'm, I'm there too. I'm not saying I'm, I got it all worked out. God calls me to go. We got some things we got to take care of. And I want to get to the point, and I want us to be the point where we're pursuing God in regard to what we do with money. 
The love of money is the root of all evil, according to Scripture. And so I don't know where you are, but uh, our income and the use of it needs to reflect our life's purpose. And by the way, it does. Our, our, our use of our income and our time reflects our, purpose, our life's purpose. So be honest with yourself about what your life purpose is. I think your benevolence reflects your relationship with money. It's another good test. How good are you and faithful are you to give as God leads you to give? Uh, you know, are you giving sacrificially? Uh, are you giving what God told you to give to the church and to anything else? Are you giving according to God's plan for you? Look, I'm not worried about, none of us as elders are worried about whether you uh, tithe or not to this body. You know that's not even something we preach. Here's what we preach. Give what God tells you to give. God tells you to give a tithe, good. What if God tells you to give 20 or 30 or 40 or half of your income? God gave us a goal as a church to get progressively more of our income to missions and to ministry. And so what's happened for the gathering place? Both sites. Here's what's happened. God gave us a building in Wardville. We have no debt. God's about to pay this one off in less than a year. We haven't paid a penny on the principal. And God's about to pay this one off, and we won't have debt here. And it won't be our money that's that's paying for it. We're selling a piece of property that was worth more than what we got it for. That's God. God is able to resource what he, his projects. And, and we're going to all grow spiritually, and the community is going to grow because they're gonna, we're going to be able to tell that story about how God took care of our, uh, paying our building off, five acres of land in a, in a building. We're going to be able to tell that story. Uh, that's the concept he's talking about here. We're not lovers of money. And look, it's not just, it's not just the members of churches, but how, how, we, how benevolent we are speaks to that. It's a direct reflection of what you value. And so it's a tool that God can use, and he does use more times than not, because this is an issue that more of us have problems with than, than any other issue. Y'all agree with that? Say, oh, yeah. Everybody, honestly, that I've ever dealt with, that have, anybody that, I, that God has ever allowed me to, to disciple, money has been an issue, a major issue. And the use of money and how we, how we, uh, how we spend our money, it's always been an issue. And, they, and we always recognize, the closer we get to God, the more we realize there's the problem. And, and, and so, again, Scripture says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It makes sense. It touches every area of our life. If we didn't have any money, we would, we would deal with it. But because we have it, it's a problem. So I think uh, we, need to, we need to recognize that. Now, one other problem is it doesn't need to be the reason why a person becomes an elder. I know our elders don't get paid here other than me. I get paid now. And most of you know that I'm working towards uh, because God said to. Uh, scripture says that I can be paid. But Paul also, uh, Scripture said that he could be paid, and he's still tent-made on the side, right? Yeah, I can't do what I do in a traditional church and do, and, and do another job too. But in this church, I can't. We can grow it as many people pack this place out, and it doesn't affect anything about what I do. I'll do the same things that I do now, then, because God is faithful. It's the way he designed this church to work. And so I'm getting another job as soon as God will allow it, and I'm waiting on him, and it's going to be in his timing. But 
our, our pastors, you know, a lot of times pastors, if you feel called to the ministry, I would challenge you in this way. And some of you do, and you're, you're considering a ministry as a vocation. I would challenge you in this way. Be bivocational. Just do it. And then take the money that they would pay you and get you an intern and pay them. You know, help them get on their feet or have that money available to be able to use it. Uh, you know, there were people in, in Paul's day that were, were wanting to be elders and, and pastors of churches because they would be take, financially taken care of. It was the pattern in the Old Testament, and they were following that pattern in the New Testament. So he speaks to that. Uh, in First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Peter's talking to, to elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, not as God would, uh, or as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So pastors who want to follow God's plan as it relates to money must also spend, uh, you know, not spend too much time making money and not being able to preach. But in the, in the same time, they need to be not taking so much money that they don't have the time to, they don't have that time to invest or that they're, they're taking that and they're not supporting themselves. They're taking it just because they can't. I can take a salary. I could have stayed where I was taking a good salary and being a pastor of a church. I can, you know, I have the degrees and the experience that I could go to a big church and make a lot of money. You know, that is not in my heart at all. God's ripped that out. And, he, and the more, the closer I get to God, the more that he takes my love for money and the things that it can give away. Now, let me say this. It does not mean you can't have things. All right, everybody hear that? Say, oh, yeah. Doesn't mean you can't be rich. Everybody hear that? It's, if a man is rich, doesn't mean he's not a, God, God, a godly person. It's, uh, is all of his wealth available to God? You know, a man can be very rich, very wealthy, have tons of money, and be more benevolent than a person that, that makes a minimum wage, is at a minimum wage job. Be more benevolent. You know, the, the example in Scripture is the one that had nothing and gave it all. It's a matter of where does your money sit in your life? And when God drops a plumb line of not being a lover of money, not pursuing money, and having money and the things that money can buy and letting that be what your life's about, your life's purpose is about, then we have some things to check out. All of us do. So we'll stop there today. We've got enough to deal with, right? All right, so let's pray. If you'll close your eyes just to stay focused, I want to read one more scripture, and I want you to hear this one, okay? Just, just with your eyes closed, hear the words. This is what Paul said in relation to money. He said, now that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul said that he learned to be content. He learned to be content. This is not something we are automatically going to have. Money has already claimed its place in our life. We have to learn to be content. But we need to learn it. So, 
You deal with that. Your relationship to God as we worship here in just a minute. You pray and ask the Lord to deal with you where you are in that. But again, don't just let it sit in your mind. Make it, let, it, let the Lord move it to your heart and then change. Oh, I can't afford to change. Yes, you can. You can afford to change. You can afford to change right now. You can change today the way you handle your money. And God will take care of it because he's your provider. Are you a violent person? Quarrelsome, combative? Has God dealt with you about that? About your need to be gentle, not speaking evil of people, forbearing with being forbearing with people? Ask the Lord to deal with that in your life. Ask him to take that from your head and move it into your heart. And trust that he will. And begin to walk in it. Ask him to teach you. Again, you have to learn that. Father, take these truths that we've studied today. Move them into our hearts. God, I pray that your word uh, has fallen on fertile soil today. We prayed for it. God, we have spoken your word. And now we have a congregation full of people who claim to love you and know you and are pursuing you who want, who need to deal with it. And so I pray that you will let this word grow up in us and, and move to our hearts in such a way that it produces fruit through the way that we live. And we praise you, God, for dealing with us today in the way that you have.